Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yo, and welcome to the 54th episode of Lake of Rage, a Pokemon trading card game podcast. I am your host, as always, Kevin Clementi, a.k.a. Mellow underscore Magikarp, and I'm joined today by two very special temporary guest hosts. Joining us once again for the first time in well over a year. It's been a heckin' long while. We have Sander, aka the Control Master. Yeah, nice to be here at a nice time of uh, two, two in the evening. Time to uh, talk about some Pokemon. <laughs> yes, thank yeah, you so much for joining us in the middle of the night, <laughs> your time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's no problem. And it's a good time to talk about Pokemon right? <laughs> to the end. And joining us for the very first time, we have Alex Shemansky. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, not quite as late as Sander. <laughs> Much more reasonable time on yeah. the East Coast. Yeah, uh, Midwest, the same difference. Okay, yeah, it's, all, it's not the West Coast, so to me it's all just generic stuff. So we've got a very special episode for y'all today. We're going to be talking all about EUIC prep. EUIC is in a week and a half from now, and we want to get this episode out a little bit early because I believe a lot of y'all are going to be traveling by the time we release this episode next week, and it's going to be completely worthless to you if you're already landing in Germany when the episode drops. So very special one because I'm not going to be attending EUIC. I've got a job that's not going to let me off of work, so I'm going to be watching it with probably a handful of you. But we have two people who are not only going to be there, but have had some pretty good IC success in the past. We're going to talk about it. So we're going to talk about how they're each going to prepare for an IC coming from two different parts of the world. Talk about the predicted meta. What's good? What's not good? What do you expect to play? What don't you expect to play against? And then we'll get into some questions from Twitch chat. As always, we are live on twitch.tv slash mellow underscore Magikarp. So, Sander, you're coming from, you said it was a five hour drive away more or less so, so that's actually like i think that's a pretty big advantage living close by the, the tournament takes a lot of uh, stress about planning your travel and i've also been to frankfurt before so that is uh definitely nice i remember actually when i went to you know worlds in 2019 we were just talking about it i played against alex i you know traveling uh having a long flight can take some energy and it's like you don't just, you have to adapt more it's always you know traveling can be a slight uh a slight uh, nuisance but yeah living close by relatively re- relatively speaking it's definitely uh somewhat of an advantage yeah so are you treating it like a regional where you're going to kind of roll up maybe the day before and just kind of be like oh let's get yeah. some test games and um I, I am. I'm going to go there on Thursday, but I know some other Dutch players that are going to go on Monday and they have took the whole week off and they, are, they all just, you know, stay there from Monday to Thursday to test. So me and yeah, I guess it kind of depends, but 
I know some people, they uh, go there early, even though they live close by, and then they just stay there with the, with the whole group and test uh, all week. But I'm going to go there on Thursday. And then, Alex, you're coming from a very different part of the world, the United States. Uh, how, when are you leaving? Uh, I leave Wednesday afternoon, and I get there Thursday morning. Okay, so you're still arriving last minute as well. Yeah, yeah. I don't have time to take off school for this. <laughs> so do you think you're at a disadvantage then? Sanders said, you know, I don't have to worry about travel too much. You're going to be jet lagged. Or do you think you're fine? Mm. A few years ago, I said what I said. There was no disadvantage, but um, I died after Salt Lake City. <laughs> and that was just a three hour flight. Um, but I hopefully it doesn't hit me too hard. Um, it hasn't for years until recently. So I don't know if it's too much of a disadvantage. I mean, that old age will get you eventually. <laughs> so I'm also curious, in addition to this part, so you're both arriving last minute, which is not what I was expecting. I would always assume people are like, oh, I'm grinding hardcore right beforehand. Does your prep for an IC differ at all from a regional? Are you putting more time into it? Are you putting, you know, we've seen a couple tournaments now. Like, how does it differ from a typical regional would? Uh, Sander, can we go ahead and start with you? Um, I don't really know if it's like very different. I, I guess maybe like I, th I feel like it's a slightly harder to predict the meta for an IC because there are more international players. So, for example, going to Liverpool, um, I feel like I have a much clearer image about um, you know what I think people are gonna bring. And for an IC, there's just way more unknown factors. There's like the level of plays higher because. The people traveling internationally are usually, you know, quite uh, experienced and quite good. So, and I feel like in an IC, people are gonna, you know, maybe bring some more unexpected decks. Like, for example, the what Robin played at Liverpool. I think at at an IC, that's like something I also would expect. Like a group of, you know, good players. You know, really testing and finding out something uh, really strong, like when Tord brought uh, Solopod to AUIC 2017. And yeah, so I guess in for my preparation itself, I don't. I think it's like pretty much the same, but I feel like for predicting the meta and how I actually think the 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 you know the variety of decks will look, I think that that is definitely. Uh, harder or more unpredictable uh, because there's a lot more unknown factors uh, coming into it and more, you know, high-level players having their own specific uh, preparation in advance. So in that regard, it, it, it's a little bit different. Alex, what do you think? Agree, disagree? Um, Are you preparing the same way? For the most part, I'm preparing the same way. Uh, I've honestly done lots, less testing for this event than I have for... Salt Lake City or past regionals, honestly. Uh, but I'm looking to put a lot of time in the next like, week and a half. So, Okay, right on. Sander, you kind of touched on something that I was wanting to get into, which is the level of play at an IC. When you have people coming from all around the world, you have only a couple from Oceania, it sounded like. But Ladam's going to have some of the top players from there. NA's going to have some of the top players from there. And of course... The top players from EU are going to be showing up because I think they all got tickets. At least I assume so. That's a whole different fiasco. <laughs> are you both? Ex 
are you both expecting this to be like the most like the highest level competition of any of the tournaments we've had so far this year or is a difference between an IC and a regional not that massive um, I think it'll be slightly higher level yeah like everyone's there unless they decided not to go I think like very few people actually missed registration in the end I think mm-hmm. so I think we have top players from most regions bar Oceana because they chose not to come. Xander, you yeah. agree? Uh, uh, I basically agree. I think it's... Uh, um, I think in general in AU, there, there's in general a lot of, you know, the, 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 top, the top layers are quite good, so... But I think you start uh, hitting the good players way earlier. I think that's the, maybe the biggest difference. I uh, remember in EYC, like the, the last one in Berlin, I played against John, the American John Ng in round two. So that's already like pretty early uh, to play against uh, a pretty good opponent. Like from round two and round three on, you can start finding uh, very high quality players. And maybe at the regional, that also happens, but it's usually a bit later. So I'm curious, going off of that one, what are your thoughts? when you see a name on the pairings and you're like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to like try harder this round or do you just feel like it's already starting. Like I'm not going to have an easy round for the rest of the tournament. Like what are your thoughts when you see, you know, round two opponent is John Ang, for example. I, I like it. That's I, to <laughs> me, it's like one of the reasons to like go to the tournament, right? The, you know, it wouldn't be fun if the competition wasn't also, you know, uh, a good challenge. So I, I always like it when I see, I mean, I also think that uh, even if I don't, don't recognize the name, they could still be, you know, very, you know, well-prepared. There, there's always, you know, new players popping up that suddenly do well. So it's not like I, if I don't recognize the name, think it's going to be easy. But if I, you know, recognize the name and I think they had some good results or they had some, you know, interesting deck and I recognize the name and I get to play against them, I actually... It's one of the things that excites me the most uh, about playing the game competitively. So I don't think it's, uh, it, if anything, I think it gives me more energy and motivation. So are you the same way, Alex? Are you just like bring on um, the competition? Well, okay, for the most part, yes. Um, <laughs> I, I generally just don't care who my opponent is, it doesn't bother me. Um, the one exception to that is whenever I hit Azul in round three of an IC, I will lose. It's happened, I think, three times. <laughs> so, so we're calling it now. You and Azul are hitting each other round three. I really hope not. <laughs> so, I want to get into the little bit of the predicted meta stuff because this is obviously what everyone's really thinking about. What do you expect to play against? So, I'm kind of curious, and if you could both come up with kind of a like a maybe a top three ish it doesn't have to actually be three that's just the generic number right but like what are those decks where you're like i am definitely going to be prepared for this matchup and this matchup and maybe a couple others or you know what are some of those matchups that you're like i know i'm playing against this or maybe you're like i'm going to play against nine muse and that's what i expect to hit (laughs) hopefully not that but you never know so uh, alex what about you you, what, are, what are your, like, expected matchups? Um, okay, so obviously I'm expecting Mew. Uh, I do think I'm expecting a little less of it than we've seen in the last, what, four events. Um, it's still going to be a huge presence, but 
I don't think as many people will bring it. Um, I think Arceus and Talion becomes more common. I'm more worried about beating Arceus than I am Mew, to be honest. Um, All Arceuses, or just simply Arceus and Talion for the most part. I, okay. it, if I can beat that, the other Arceus variants are a little easier, uh, depending on what I'm playing, I guess. And then, I mean, there's no real third deck that stands out. Um, I'd like to not lose to Rapid Strike Malamar, um, but if I if I have to take a loss, it'll be to Malamar, and I'll care about that a lot less than anything else. I think somewhere out there, Omnipoke is incredibly excited at that. <laughs> Sandra, what about you? Are you does your predicted meta look anything the same, different? Yeah, it's actually. I think those three are actually the ones I would mention. I mean, Arceus and Mio are very obvious. And I do agree that it seems that um, right now Arceus is like is at least on par, maybe even as pop even more slightly more popular and successful than Mio. So that is definitely the trend. And I, you know, going to Liverpool, I actually I I definitely predicted that Malamar doing well. It's, it was like the, one of the matchups that was definitely on my radar, especially because I felt like that in EU people, you know, they liked a single prize. You know, mini quest decks like uh, a Baby Blacephalon and a Gramble. I always thought that Gramble was, you know, overrepresented in Europe. So, like, some players like just like the, the single price deck, and you have to like do some kind of weird thing, and then you do uh, an, an, a lot of damage. So, going into Liverpool, it was definitely I, I, one of the, my top three decks that I wanted to beat. And um, so, maybe, but maybe now. Uh, it kind of has like already shown itself, Malamar, so people are prepared. We saw uh, uh, Alessandro playing the Covet Femox specifically, I think, for it. And I think if people, you know, are more prepared against Malamar, it might seem like less of an appealing play to players. Like maybe for Liverpool, it was not that uh, people didn't really respect it. So it's, maybe people thought it also was like a good play to go for it. So maybe Malamar less so. I, I would say that the, another one that I think is kind of legit is uh, Urshifu, like in any form, with uh, Arceus or just with Dark, like uh, Robin played. I think that one is also kind of on my radar because, I mean, I think Urshifu is one of the best cards besides Arceus and Mule. It's just that it happens to be extremely weak against Mule and, and of course, there's Manaphy. But I mean, the card itself is like insanely good. Like we have one, uh, we, we have someone in this uh, right here who won a Players Cup with it. So, <laughs> I mean, it is definitely, you know, there's there's reasons to play it. It, it. it does well into Arceus. It's extremely efficient. It's actually funny, funnily enough, one card I actually considered playing just a one-one in control. But uh, yeah, it's. I mean, Urshifu definitely isn't perfect. There's definitely weaknesses to going for it for AUIC, so I wouldn't, you know, if, if I thought all my other matchups were fine and I had a weak matchup against Urshifu, I don't think that would be the end of the world, but I definitely, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two Urshifus uh, facing me on day one. Like, in, and then with Urshifu, it's also, there's probably a lot of, uh, a lot of ways to go about it. I wouldn't, uh, you know, dare to say which one is going to be the most popular or the right way to play it. But it's, uh, I, I think it's 
pretty far away from uh, the popularity of Neo and RCS, but it, it could see some play. I have like a million questions to stem off of that, but the first one, because I'm going to get angry YouTube comments and angry Twitter DMs if I don't ask it. Why were you considering a 1-1 Urshifu in control? Just the, the, the control deck. I think the Arceus matchup is by far the sketchiest, especially the Arceus and Talion, and especially if they play like some pretty common cards like the Palpat and... I feel like even like six Goon is pretty relevant, and if they don't play those cards, I think it's fine. But those cards are, you know, you don't have to play them for control at all. They're just they're just good cards in the list. And if you know, uh, like going into Liverpool, I I knew that that was going to be a difficult matchup. I did. I mean, I also faced a couple Arceus lists without Balbat and without uh, you know Intellion at all, or they played Intellion, but um, they. They didn't really know how to play the matchup. But yeah, I felt like Arceus was just uh, the most, you know, scary matchup for my deck. And uh, Urshifu is like, you know, sure they can put a Dunsburst down, but I could easily play a Chekhov when I was playing the Elder Ghost loop anyway. I could actually, you know, have a reasonable shot at uh, just uh, beating the uh, beating like the water Arceus decks with... In our food line, it was something I was considering, but it was, of course, a lot of uh, deck space. And I did feel like going into Liverpool, the Altakia strategy was uh, um, yeah, right for the moment. I actually had some opponents picking up the Altaria and, and reading the cards, like, oh, okay, so this is what it does. So, yeah, but there's, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, it wasn't like w without, there, there were like certain cards that I was considering just to just like, um, make the Arceus matchup like way better, and Urshfu was one of them. My second question to come off of that is, you are the European player here. You're the one who knows the general European meta. How much are you expecting? You know, you mentioned like, for example, Europe really likes their just single prize decks that require way too much work for way little value. The Malamars, the Blacephalons, etc. Are you expecting? Are you expecting a usual like European meta? Do you think like oh it's going to be mostly European players, or are you still focusing on like no this is going to be vastly different than like I was expecting for Liverpool, for example? Well, I think um, I don't think I think it will be different because I think that a lot of the European players also they don't I mean apart from me, but they don't mind you know switching decks so. Like Stefan played uh, Malamar at Liverpool, I wouldn't be surprised if he played something else because he can definitely play like any deck, right? And I think it's the same for you know a lot of players. I think the European players are pretty you know meta aware. I don't think they just pick a deck and then play it uh, you know no matter no matter what. I think if they think a deck is not uh, positioned great, then they might switch. So I think the fact that there's, you know, we have the results from the, you know, three regionals or four regionals that have happened might uh, change the picks that people go for. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think like Monomar, I definitely expected it going, doing well in Liverpool and it actually did. I think it, maybe it did even better than I expected because there were two in top, uh, two in top eight and then one of the winning ins was a Monomar mirror. So. 
there were a lot of Modemars doing like extremely well. So maybe that's a reason that maybe now it will be too risky or too expected for it to as well. But yeah, I, th I think it will be, yeah, not the exact same as Liverpool for sure. And one more thing. So, Sander, you mentioned you're expecting Rapid Strike Urshifu to show up in some way, shape, or form. Alex, what do you think? Are you at all worried about any form of Rapid Strike Urshifu, or are you just like, nah, that, I'm not expecting it? I'm expecting it. Worried about it is potentially strong. Um, I'm, I'm probably not going to play something that like, scoops up its cards to it, but I'm not going to go out of my way and be like, Oh no, I have a terrible rapid strike matchup. But do I care that much? Like I might hit one, but it's not the end of the world. And it's probably beatable. Like I won't play Jolteon for what it's worth. That is a bold take. Not playing Jolteon. <laughs> That's not I wish just as a quick aside for anyone listening to this who might be on the last second of like, oh but Jolteon. Test the Mew matchup more. It's so bad. It's really bad. <laughs> like you, you path and pray, and maybe you'll go like two zero against it, and you're like that. You cannot end your testing there. <laughs> it will not end that way most games. All right. So we mentioned the Urshifu one. So does this mean? Do we do we think the Limitless guys are? Was that a one and done for them, or was this a? Eh, they'll probably bring it again. I'm just not afraid of that deck. Um, I, I don't. I think that variant of Rapid Strike Urshfu was probably a one and done from them. Um, I'm sure some people will bring it. It's kind of complicated to play. I wouldn't expect a ton of people just to play it because of that. Uh, it would not surprise me to see Rapid Strike Urshfu in the Limitless deck at some point, though. Sander, what do you think? Talk about the. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually really like the deck they, they that they built. Like, it has it has like such a you know intricate game plan. You want certain cards at certain points in the game. You really have like a a, a flow. You have different uh, solutions for different uh, board states. And it was it was really nice to see the deck list. But of course, the it it runs on very thin margins, right? You need certain things to happen at certain times, and if that doesn't work out, and then it uh, can fall apart uh, quite quickly. So um, the combination of, you know, people it, it winning, of course. So people uh, it definitely is now on the radar, and uh, uh, you could you could play maybe uh, expect to your opponent to try to, you know certain situations more or like put more effort into uh, playing around your win conditions or even you know playing some you know very annoying tech cards or even more Marnies who knows and as far as them playing that exact you know that list I mean they are obviously I, I whenever I'm going into a tournament it's not really safe to assume that they are 100% <laughs> playing something because they can obviously you know, play anything and come up with something else, or they have their own view on the meta. They are not, uh, you know, uh, as one-dimensional that they 
are definitely going to play this, but I guess if they think it's still strong or they think uh, people will not respect it and won't play any outlandish decks in their decks to counter them, maybe maybe we'll play it. It's, uh, yeah. Also, uh, yeah, it's uh, just uh, just basing your uh, your deck choice on uh, uh, a couple players playing a deck is, uh, you know, if you don't hit them and you have you're extremely prepared for the matchup, you, you might not see it. And that's kind of a waste as well, right? It's like Alex, like uh, uh, like Alex says, if you you might only face zero or one Urshifu, so it's not something to be extremely worried about. But I would definitely uh, know what to do against it when I see it. That's just really good advice in general. Of like, even if you're expecting it, maybe maybe don't prepare for it if you're only expecting those four to play it, or or don't prepare, don't over prepare for what 800 person tournament, and you might expect four people to bring a deck. 650, but yeah. Oh, 650. There we go. Maybe, maybe it could have. It, it would have maybe been 800 uh, in a different. Uh, right. Time, uh, if only. <laughs> so, I want to come back to Mew, something we've largely ignored. And so, Alex, I don't know if you remember you said this, but I remember you said this when. Oh, no. So we hit each other in round four of Salt Lake City, and you made you whiffed a lot in our matchup, like. It, it, I threw the match multiple times too. So oh, I mean, me too. To be fair, so we both equally misplayed. Yeah, it was bad. <laughs> but one of the things you said is Mew is a lie. Oh, Mew is such a lie. Can you elaborate on I, that? You beat everything until you don't. Like every matchup should be, in theory, good for Mew or fifty-fifty at worst. Like everything is easy enough to deal with if you know what you're doing. Um, the issue is, if you make one small misplay, you might just throw that 50-50 into a 30-70. Um, and obviously, Marnie Path is still a thing that could just happen to you no matter how well you play. Um, shoot, there was another really good point I had about that. Um, I think it was just more about, like, if you if you beats everything, and then, like, you deal with that if you don't like it's 50 50s a bunch of the time so if you're on the wrong side of that 50 50 just twice during the day you can basically not misplay it any other time so it's just like i i just mew felt like a trap and i we obviously in salt lake city didn't see it do well at all um but it just it felt like it was much better on paper than it was playing it that did seem to be the general theme of, like, the highest placing in Salt Lake City was a very, very good player, Caleb Gedimir, getting, like, 11th place, which is a good yeah. placement. But that's, when you're talking about a world-class player and the most popular deck, that's not exactly what you would have expected it to be. So, what are your recommendations for anyone who wants to bring Mew? Because Mew is a good deck. Um, play four stadiums, please. Just do it. <laughs> um... Uh, what else? Stop cutting consistency cards. It's a bad idea. Uh, don't cram away your Ultra Ball in turn one and then complain about bricking. <laughs> <laughs> so many people just did it. It was terrible. Um, choosing second is a bad idea. Uh, you're better off just playing around the turn one Meloetta. 
Don't choose second. Um, and Mir, I guess I should mention that. But and just in general, the deck is... You need to know how to play it well, I think, to have success at a regional or IC level. So just, you, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's a fallback deck for like a ton of people right now. So I don't know if I'd feel comfortable playing it as the fallback deck without like putting a ton more games into it. That's good advice right there, because like you said, I think most people, it's like, oh, I really want to play this, but also I might play Mew. And it's not the type of deck that you can just be like, well, I played 10 games with it a couple weeks ago. I'm probably fine. That's <laughs> it is a very hard deck to play, like very hard. Yeah, I actually think it's like in it's I, I, I personally think it's not a coincidence that the one regional that Mew did very well was uh, uh, an eight rounds into top eight instead of like having to play seven rounds of Mew. Like if you watch the, the finals of Brazil. I think it was pretty clear that fatigue starts to play a role in uh, the decision making. I think Mio is, you know, playing like playing from round one up till finals. The odds of you playing every little decision optimal is kind of kind of low. I also think that since the season kind of only has just started, that's what I feel at least, and. Uh, like even like some of the, you know, the, the the good players, the very serious players, they don't have like uh, tons of tons and tons of uh, regional experience. I kind of feel like when I started playing like the Pinchotto or Rango deck, the first regionals that I played, I I even like felt like it was way extremely exhausting and very difficult to play. And the more I played the deck, and like during the season, it's get it, the the regionals felt like they got you know a lot easier, and I felt like I was playing way more on point and. I think that with Mio, maybe if we had had like the full season from the start, by this point, maybe people would be like, like they had made like, like four or five regionals with Mio. They would be like way better at uh, going through a whole tournament and making the right decisions because with Mio, you also want to play three games. So you really can't, you know, waste time. You want to play pretty quickly. You have a lot of decisions to make. You can't. Uh, spend time on every decision but there's everybody's trying to counter you in during the mid game you can play your cards in so many different sequences actually when i was playing against Mule in liverpool i felt like my opponents you know i almost felt sorry for them they it was so difficult for them to play against me because the deck has so many ways to go about things it's like so different from when adp was the best deck whenever i played against adp they you literally had to put an adp down and attach two energies to it and that was uh, all. You, then you are basically done. You uh, you are doing great. But with you, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a deck that has. Uh, it takes a lot to play every turn optimal and play around. I think also one of the difficult things about Mio is that there's not one uh, strategy that counters it. Like it's not just that baby, that, that uh, baby Moltres is uh, trading extremely efficiently efficiently against you. But then there's the Path Marnie, which is a completely different angle. Like uh, there's the deck set like Malamar that abuses the fact that you have no hand disruption. And then there's the control deck that uh, really like taxes your resources and the fact that you don't play a lot of energies and switching outs and that your engine doesn't really work unless you're playing the cards from your hand. So you can't really take without sometimes wasting resources. So with me, it really feels like even though the deck is extremely powerful, 
there are actually multiple like ways in the formats that are countering you. So you have to be prepared for every single one. And then there, and on top of all of that, there's also the mirror, of course, to keep in mind. Which when you when you maybe if there was only path or there was only baby multifest or the only thing you really had to struggle with was the mirror, maybe it would be a lot easier, but you have to do all of these things, maybe face like a Gengar, pass to the peak deck as well. You know, everybody is out to get you. And then there's people coming up with like the Urshifu, you know, Moltres, uh, yoga loop strategy. That's also specific. Like they have had a very specific plan against Mew. So it's, it does kind of feel like you have to juggle so many things. The deck has so many ways to play it, play it. And the season really hasn't ramped up. People haven't really had like two whole days of playing nonstop meal, and maybe if if we had like like ten more regionals during the season, it would people would be at a very high level of meal. Like I like I played a little bit of meal actually last weekend, just to you know why not? And it definitely felt like this is not something that I would ever you know play. <laughs> like you said, play ten games and play at a regional it would just be way too difficult to like actually play at a very high level. So yeah, I, I mean, obviously I'm not uh, an expert on the but there are definitely, uh, I think, reasons why, even though the deck looks like it should be the best deck, right? It has a lot, like, like an insane amount of things going for it. I feel like there are some reasons why it hasn't, uh, you know, managed to go the distance at least. And the one time it did, it was uh, at a. Uh, not not only a smaller regional, but I think most importantly a, sh- a shorter regional, where you actually only had to play eight rounds and then a top eight the next day. So that, that might have helped. I forget who said it, but going off of uh, really what both of you said, they said every person you've played against has tested the Mew matchup, you know, 20, 30, 40 times, and you may have never tested against the deck they're playing. So that was also one of those just there's so many targets on Muse back. You better know what you're doing. Oh, also one more thing. I have to say personally, just before we move on to a different deck, please, Mew players, for the love of Arceus, do not 210 an opposing Sobble turn one. You don't have to against Arceus and Teleon just destroy that poor little Sobble. It's psychic leap back into the deck or whatever save your fusion strike energies do literally anything except meloetta it for 200 damage i mean only do it if you're not going to like at all threaten the ko okay true true true. if there's an arceus with an energy on the bench (laughs) right please don't let me take two fusion strike energies off the field and take a free prize card that you're the game's over at that point that is the biggest misplay that I see all the time, even at Salt Lake City. Even in day two of Salt Lake City, it happened more than zero times. All right, last major, major, major deck, because you both agreed that it's pretty much two decks to really be concerned about. The other one was Arceus. So Alex, you kind of already mentioned, I'm worried about Arceus Inteleon specifically. But what are the Arceus variants that you're like, these are the things I'm expecting specifically, or is it as simple as I'm going to beat Arceus and Teleon and assume I can take out everything else, the Arceus Birds, the Arceus Crobat VMAX, which is technically a deck now, the Arceus Whimsicots, these types of things. So Alex, you've mentioned it a little bit. So Sander, I want to start off with you. 
Are you worried about all Arceus variants? Are you focusing in on one? Like, what do you think about opposing Arceus decks? I mean, Arceus is, uh, yeah, uh, where to start even with this card? I mean, it is obviously very strong. It's also, um, I think, uh, like kind of naturally very good against the type of decks that I play, which are control decks. Also, because one of the things about control decks is when you play against them, it can be like hard to like manage the fact that you want to pressure them, but you also want to save resources. So, like let, let's say for example, ADP, which was of course it was extremely strong against control. That's no surprise. But ADP, they usually as their draw engine, they had four research and they had two or three dead ends. And those cards are actually pretty bad because sometimes you want to get your GX deck off, but you have to research, uh, research away some metal saucers, some uh, switches, or some other cards. And these type of... And, um, so, and it's like the same with Picaroma, even though it was fine against, usually against control, they sometimes have to dig then to even put up any pressure, or you can choose to not do that, but then you might be so slow that you give the control player all the time to you know, play their long grindy uh, game that they want to play. And that's one of the issues that Mule, of course, has against control. They can't, you know, they have a very hard time managing this because sometimes they get stuck with uh, cards in their hand that they really don't want to waste. But going back to Arceus, Arceus has the opposites. Arceus actually is extremely self, uh, self-sufficient. Like the fact that you can always have like a very, very guaranteed way to get pressure without ever having to research away or discard the cards that you might want later. I think that already uh, gives it like a very, you know, natural edge against, uh, I mean, control in specific, but that's, that's, I guess that's very specific to the, that one matchup. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, with Arceus, there's a lot of ways to build it. It's, it, to me, it's kind of, I don't dislike the card that much because I feel like the, it opens up a lot of deck building, deck building decisions. It really feels like playing the right partners at the right time um, is what matters a lot when you play Arceus. So to me, of course, I like deck building a lot. So at least it's really interesting to see what, how people partner with it. You, can, you see it with Urshifu, with Beedrill, with Whimsicott. With by barrel with the Intellion, with you know the free union the free union cards or whatever you can kind of partner up with uh, so much. So I mean, I guess the yeah the the, the Intellion version seems to be the most stable way to to play against at least Mew, and also it's like a very good way to play the Mirror because the Mirror. You don't one-shot each other unless you play the fighting package, which then again kind of gets uh, turned off by the Dunsware. So the mirror is like a kind of fair, like I feels very snowbally. Starting just gives you a huge edge, and then it's just about getting the the, the right uh, cards at the right time, the right cheerings, and so and for that i guess the intellion just fits the best and intellion you get some one prizers down against mules so that's what you want to do anyway might as well play the the, the whole intellion engine alongside it but yeah i mean i i wouldn't uh, you know say which which version is the best or which partner is best but 
in my preparation, I definitely, you know, um, testing against Arceus, you really have to test against like three or four or even more variants because they definitely play out very different. There's a lot of possibilities with the cards. And yeah, I think, and some of the different builds are, I feel like the, the whole pacing and the whole uh, game, like Arceus Duraladon feels very different from Arceus and Talion and some the Barrel Arceus decks are like thin on Arceus, thicker on Arceus. I think the Whimsical Arceus deck actually had a pretty thin Arceus, for example. So uh, even if you are, are very prepared against Arceus, the Whimsical, I think they can just play without it even. So the Arceus is definitely uh, a time-consuming uh, card to, to deal with in the format. You have to take into account all the different versions, but I think it's, you know, from a deck building perspective, it definitely is a lot, uh, uh, a lot to look into. So I guess that's fun at least. Alex, your thoughts on prepping for Arceus? I mean, I'm probably putting the most focus on Arceus Intelligent and Arceus Birds. Um, I think those are the two biggest variants. I I do want to say. Be very scared of Arceus Duraladin for UIC. Um, I'm noticing a lot of the decks popping up recently, like the Limitless Urshfu, the Whimsicott deck. All of those things just scoop to Duraladin. Or not scoop, but like they have very rough Duraladin matchups. Be like, I would not be surprised to see someone bring Duraladin and go very far. Um, so like, I'm keeping that in the back of my mind, just like when I'm playing a deck. Uh, like, I was trying Ravishrike Urshfu earlier. I'm like. This deck beats a ton of stuff. It might just lose to Draladin and Mew. If I'm not being every Arceus variant, why am I playing this? Uh, and, and the same thing when I'm like testing a fighting deck. Some of the Arceus variants don't play Dunsparce. Like Arceus Birds doesn't. So like, I care less about that matchup when I'm testing. But if I can't beat the ones with Ar- with Dunsparce, it's just not worth playing the hard counter to Arceus that's not actually hard counter. Um, I also just think the B barrel lists they're good. Um, like there's obviously a ton of partners, um, but I think the Intellion lists are just a little more consistent and give a very large edge in the mirror match, it's like in the Arcus mirrors, um, because you have more access to your deck most of the time, so and more healing. It just depends on if you're playing Arceus, worry about Arceus Intellion the most. And if you're playing Mew, worry about Arceus Birds the most, probably. Like, it just depends on what you're playing. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Uh, the Arceus Duraladon, I was not expecting to hear that as a potential <laughs> someone could go far with it pick, but... Yeah. Sander, were you, was that on your radar at all? I mean, I, I talk a lot with, uh, with the Dutch players. You know, some some people might also uh, share the same idea that you know the meta usually goes in a circle and Duraladon was one of the first decks to do well, but it's, it it has been shown that it also can be countered, but it can also be forgotten <laughs> and not be countered. You know that that is actually how you know that that is definitely something that uh, you have to take into account. Sometimes uh, you know it's like. It always is uh, the case in Pokemon. A deck uh, does well, and then it's it, like 
and then it, you can counter it and then it gets gets counters and kind of falls off but people uh, don't respect it you pick it at the right time at the right moment that is definitely strong especially when everybody is busy busy countering each other and you play a deck that's completely off the radar like i have definitely some experience doing that myself <laughs> so you know play something that uh, nobody has that has like uh you know they 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 are just preparing for uh, all all the different Arceus decks and they are prepare, preparing for Jolteon and Urshifu and then you show up with I guess Galadon and nobody nobody uh, uh, cares to play the counters and I guess you, you could do well. I've heard actually uh, some people have the exact same line of thinking. Also, I should mention Mew players are cutting Echoing Horde now, which makes that matchup way more. Feasible for Jalatan. Yeah, that was like the, that was innovation, right? You have to kind of put down two Arceus in the early game against Mio because if you lose your Arceus, you kind of lose the game. And if you put down two Arceus, then the Echoing Horn is a pretty clean, clean uh, answer to the Duraladon deck. So if that's not in Mio, then yeah, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm, not I'm neither playing Mio nor uh, Duraladon Arceus, so <laughs> I guess. Wow. <laughs> I'm not the uh, the go-to person to uh, to uh, you know <laughs> to for the finesse uh, of the of those matchups, but uh, yeah, I, I I do think that uh, I, in general I think the Pokemon TCG meta gaming is, I mean I would almost say even more important than in other any other TCG. It's like such a integral part of the game. Like the, the, the you have so so good access to your deck that. Having the right tech cards can be such an advantage, and and the counter cards are so strong. But you also have very limited. You only have like your the sixty cards you decide to bring. So playing the wrong tech card is gonna sting the whole the whole tournament. Yeah, I, I definitely think like the the levels that there are to meta gaming and kind of seeing how they play out is a huge part of the game. Last thing on predicted metagame before, and this could be as fast or as slow of an answer as you want. And Alex, I'm going to start with you. Are you preparing for control? EU has a reputation. I feel like EU and West Coast US are the two where it's like, expect to hit control. Do you expect to hit control? I, I, when you say control, do you mean specifically Zorg, or do you mean decks that involve controlling the board state as a whole? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I was leaning towards Zoroark. Okay, um, Zoroark, I don't think there will be that many. Um, I'm sure Sandra will come with some crazy control deck and I'll shake my head and lose. Um, <laughs> but I, I don't expect Zoroark to control it pop, pop up very often. Um, I do expect decks that have more cards that interact with your opponent to pop up. Um, Is that like a Sydney? Uh, Sydney, Avery. Even, even Avery Ham just crushing hammers. Honestly, like I expect to see a lot more disruption mm-hmm. is what I'm looking for. Does, um, does that mean you think Whimsicott might be a real deck? I really <laughs> hope not. I hope it's not a real deck. I hate the deck, um, but I, I do think that I am at least considering Whimsicott when I am picking a deck. Um, like if I am playing a deck with. Uh, what six special energies and no basic energies? I'm like, is this a really good idea at an IC? Mm-hmm. Whimsicott, I'm probably just hit one, but 
it at most. I, I just, I'm sure there are a lot of attempts because Mew is very easy to control. Like once you get it down, you can counter Mew with mm, six cards, but those six cards are dead in half the metagame. So it just you have to figure out what you're going to control, and I don't think a lot of people are going to consider Zorark as the answer. Uh, I mean, as Sender said, the Arceus matchups aren't really complicated and depend on their lists. Um, I'm sure there are ways to make that a little better, but I would be more apt to play a deck that disrupts while also taking prize cards. Sander, are you prepping for the mirror match? Um, I <laughs> I wouldn't expect to see many people play the you know style of deck that I played in Liverpool. Even I, I myself, I thought it was even going into Liverpool. I thought it was kind of medium, and I mean, I did very well, but I don't know. I don't think I feel like the more the Arceus be gaining popularity is not great. I mean, there are some things you can do, but uh, I mean, I don't think the meta game has is is like better for it now. I think if anything, it's like all naturally worse, and now people know about it. And um, yeah, I, I do agree that there are also some you know control type cards that you can definitely just play, especially in Arceus. Like I think the the to me the only the only control card that is actually really like high quality is Evelthal. I think that card is actually you know an actual good card. All the other control cards are kind of like medium, kind of like they are they are either good but take a lot of setup and are and and then they are kind of clunky or they are just not that strong. There's no you know no reset stamp that's just all around uh, gonna help you catch up if things go wrong. So you kind of need uh, you need the early game to go well, but then you also have to you have this whole package of kind of very specific, somewhat clunky, very thin lines of uh, cards. I think so. I mean, I, I I wouldn't care too much about the mirror for me. I mean, there might be people playing it. It also feels like I also I also think that. I might just uh, bring something completely different because, I mean, the adapting to the meta is pretty important, and I feel like for Liverpool it was a fine play, but maybe now something else is uh, is better. So if if you're going to Liverpool and should you expect it, uh, I mean. I, don't, I think there's only a couple people. I mean, you could you could face it. There's definitely some people that like, uh, even besides me, that like those type of decks. But I wouldn't be too worried about it. But it also depends on what type of deck you're playing. I think if you're playing Mule, um, you can't really fix the matchup with... I mean, I guess you could play a Marnie, but I don't think that even uh, really does it. But I feel like if you are playing Arceus, there are some simple cards that are good in general that you could definitely consider. And you could say, well, these cards are already good and they have the the very slight upside that by the off chance I hit like a control deck or a resource deck, like a, a deck that uh, tries to play the resource game. Uh, maybe it's uh, even better than normal to you know, play 
play a pulpit or like for example if you play six goon it's a lot easier to like uh, go through an altaria with aqua boots and there's some other stuff in arceus that you definitely can consider to like improve the matchup without adding like any crazy cards to your list i mean if you're playing by barrel arceus it becomes a, a lot more difficult because the it's kind of like a weird situation where the Altaria against some Arceus lists is uh, like extremely good. I guess if you're playing uh, Duralazon, you do have a pretty you do have a shot against it because Duralazon shreds. But I mean, I think if you're, I think maybe like play against it, play against it once or twice, and uh, then I wouldn't worry too much about it. Just make sure you kind of know how the game goes. And, the chances of hitting it are not that high. Even though, I mean, I I don't know. I don't actually even know if Europe has like a like percentage-wise amount of players that uh, play control decks. I think it's just a couple people that are you know like me that play it uh, regardless of how good it is. Just you basically just have a couple of very stubborn people. I don't think it's like. <laughs> An extremely high amount of people like think it's more uh, you know an issue of you know a couple people playing the deck instead of uh, the deck being uh, very popular. But I mean, I also don't I also don't want to convince people to play no counters against the deck that I myself might play. So if you want to prepare for it, uh, you should. <laughs> so. Are you all ready to get him some questions from Twitch chat? Sure. Cool. So the first one is from Hollerman TCG. What is a food you like that you think most people wouldn't like? <laughs> they won't all be TCG questions, apparently. The people want what Boy. they want. <laughs> I can start if y'all want. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh... As a very quick for me, I know for sure I eat it every day. I like cottage cheese. I think it's, I think it's delicious, um, and I think most people think it's a little too chunky to be real food. <laughs> I don't know if either of you have oh, well. uh, figured out. Well, on the topic of cheese, I really like uh, you know the blue cheese of Roquefort, and some people they they hate it, but I really like it. So I guess I agree with you a hundred percent. But I also know people do not like blue cheese. <laughs> Yeah, I kind of get it. So, wouldn't yeah? It's like a weird. Maybe it can also be like maybe a mental block. The fact that there's like a, a bacteria or making the flavor. Alex, do you have one? Can't even think of anything. Like I don't even think too weird. It's just like I'm sure there's something. I just can't think of it right now. <laughs> no um, worries. Yeah. All right, next I question. Have no idea. Next question goes back to TCG, don't worry. But uh, not about the metagame, about superstitions. This has been a constant thing the last handful of episodes we've asked. Ever since we have Natalie Miller on, uh, before she won, she said, I have to eat banana bread before uh, Saturday in order to do well. She did. She won the tournament. So now everyone wants to ask about superstitions. So what are some superstitions? It doesn't have to be eating banana bread the Saturday before, but what are some superstitions you have in the TCG 
that you're like, I always have to do this thing, or I can never do this thing, or I always have to wear this, or yeah. What are some things that you just have to do? I don't know if either of you have an answer that comes off the top of your head. I've told mine too many times where I don't need to say mine again. <laughs> I, I, okay. I don't, okay, go for it. I don't think I actually do anything specific. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, no, I don't do anything specific anymore. Uh, no, there's nothing for me. There's no bad luck that you have to wash away. I'm just naturally lucky. <laughs> I understand. So you're playing four crushing hammers confirmed. Mm, no. <laughs> Sander, no. do you have any superstitions that you like always have to do before a game? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I have some, you know, simple things, preparations I like to do. Like I, I am one of the people I on the day before I don't like playing late until the at night I actually like resting way more than you know last minute uh, grinding I think when I got to the tournament I already know everything that I need to know so on the, on the day before I just like to get as much rest and the next uh, day is probably going to be 9 rounds that go to 15 minutes so might as well save all my energy but, so I always feel like I mean it's not really a superstition I guess it's more like a like an, uh, a way to uh, to approach the tournament, but I definitely don't like uh, playing like all night the night before. But Alex, I think you were shaking your head. Do you agree with that or disagree? I, I agree. I don't play late at night unless like I'm really desperate. Um, I know like, so many people who do. It's <laughs> I, think so I feel like the majority of people do. I feel like oh. I feel like I mean, whenever I say like, oh, I don't really want to play. I just want to. Sit like, and uh, <laughs> you know, just just, in the, just go to bed early and you know get get a good rest and uh, don't stress. I feel like I, I feel like that's way I, I like it way more. But I feel like the majority of people yeah. they like uh, you know getting the last minute uh, changes to change deck last minute, and I also never do that. That's so stressful. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh. I feel like. But it might also have to do with the fact that I, I expect to play lo long rounds in a long day, so yeah, I feel like I need every bit of uh, you know rest I can get the day before. Yeah, I, I also no, have something no, no, that's not quite a superstition, but I always flip a six prizes dice when flipping a coin because the looks on some of my opponents' faces when they realize it's a six as a symbol is just great. Like, it's just so entertaining. <laughs> it's so tricky. I don't think I noticed that. That's, that's kind of good. I don't think I flipped very many sixes against you. Oh, yeah, that's fair, actually. You flipped a lot of cram tails. Yeah. We take those. <laughs> it's better to be lucky than good. True. Uh, next question is from the Gyroscope Eevee. What deck box do you use for events? So are you always using the same deck box, switching it up? Oh, uh, so I used one that I had for, I think, like maybe 10 years. It had like art on it, but the art was completely, you know, the deck box is completely white. The art <laughs> that it had on it completely uh, vanished. <laughs> but it actually, it, it, the, 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 top, the top art broke. So I used like a, just a very standard new one that I actually got for my birthday. Somebody gave it to me. 
So now I'm using that one. It's like very pretty standard uh, ultra pro black box, nothing uh, out of the ordinary. <laughs> Alex, what about you? Uh, for the most part, I use this, but one of the old Mew deck boxes. I have like five of them sitting on a shelf for when one breaks or gets too old. Um, recently, I saw like City, I didn't do that. Clearly, I should have. Um, superstition. Superstition. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I generally use a deck box that's Pokemon and usually Mew, but I didn't want to use a Mew deck box while I was playing Mew. So. I mean, to be fair, I think everyone just assumed everyone was playing Mew anyway, so... That's true. It wouldn't have mattered. Uh, <laughs> uh, also, I, it's not really a superstition, but that, like, some... Uh, I was... Um, something that, like, like more like a, a weird coincidence is that in the, the last couple of regionals, whenever I, I do make top eights, I always get knocked out, and then the deck that I lose to is the top eight mat, and... It happened like in the last three regionals in a row, <laughs> I think. I played like Steelix and I lost against the Re uh, Requaza GX. And then it was the, the, the mat that they gave me for the top eight. And then I lost against uh, SP on the Oxus against Dwarves. <laughs> and it was the SP on the Oxus mat. And um, in, in the last regional in Malmö before COVID, it was the uh, ADP mat. And I lost against ADP. And now in this, in Liverpool, it actually was uh, surprising because the Salt Lake mat was an uh, Arceus mat, but we had got a Whimsicott mat. So if we had gotten the same uh, play mat for the events, it would have uh, happened again. But <laughs> somehow, somehow we, I don't know why, but we didn't get the same mat as in Salt Lake. That would have been too perfect. Because I lost against Arceus. Yeah, it would have been, uh, would have been uh, a, a very weird streak. <laughs> Or it's a sign Whimsicott's going to be knocking you out of top eight of UIC. Yes. Maybe, maybe it is. Maybe I should. I mean, look the IC mail will be different. Oh, yes. that's maybe true. I should look at it and make sure I counter that deck. <laughs> <laughs> so, Professor Poke and Leo's Haunt ask, "What is your brand of sleeves and color of sleeves that you use?" Uh, I. Recently, I mean, as well, as long as they've been out, I've been using Pink Diamond Dragon Shields. Um, I just like them the most. I think they shuffle well. Um, before that, I was using non-glare Dragon Shields. Is the pink specifically shuffle better, or you just like the color? I, I don't know. I, I I think Dragon Shields definitely shuffle differently based on the color. I mean, that's just quality <laughs> control nonsense. Um, I think the pink ones did very well when I played them. So then none of them broke, which is kind of good for me um just in general i like i don't know it just felt better and i like the pink the pink's good i mean it is a very good color <laughs> sander what about you what brand and what uh color yeah also i like dragon shield the most even though the i think they are pretty tall so sometimes the top there's so, such so much uh sticking out that i feel like it gets bent a little bit quicker than uh, like brand, like other brands that are shorter, but I like I like Dragon Shields. I'm using uh, purple ones, but that is like uh, because uh, Stefan, uh, one of my friends, he is in contact with the Dragon Shields. Actually, I think recently they sponsored a couple more players. Mm -hmm. It's also via him, and uh, at some point he hooked me up with like oh, 1,000 purple Dragon Shields. So. 
that's what I've been using for ever since for a while. But uh, yeah, I've also used the, the pink ones and all the colors. The black ones. I didn't really like the black ones. But uh, yeah, the I've been using the purple ones. I've tried some of the other brands, like the, the Eclipse from Ultrapow. I thought they shuffled uh, like decent, but I didn't like that. They, like the, the good thing about Dragon Shields is that they are very durable. Mm -hmm. They shuffle, they shuffle good. They're, they you get like uh, sleeves that you can actually use for usually uh, a good amount of time before you have to get new ones. So it always feels like the, the best deal, and they are comfortable and yeah. But uh, I haven't uh, tried the uh, Ultimate Guard. I think. It's like one of the brands that I actually haven't used. So maybe I'll try those one those ones uh, at some point. So Dragon Shield, we just had two of the top players in the game give a like two minute long commercial about how great your product is. So if you want to sponsor a Pokemon trading card game podcast, <laughs> please reach out to Mellow underscore Magikarp on Twitter. I also use Dragon Shield, so I won't be lying when I say <laughs> that they're uh, very good. There you go. Just got to throw that out there. You never know when a Dragon Shield rep is listening to the podcast. <laughs> you never know. All right. Uh, a Wild Drummer Has Appeared asks, with all the very important tools in the format on the BDIFs, Choice Belt and Mew, Big Charm and Arceus, do you think Tool Jammer is a card that should start creeping its way into decks for EUIC or potentially even Indie or in the future? I mean, it already has started showing up. Like, I've seen Mew list with one tool jammer, one choice belt. I mean, it's fine. I mean, I don't like it, but <laughs> I've seen it. Um, in theory, it takes place of Big Charm, but again, I don't like it. Um, it just seems... It's more versatile, but it does less when certain things happen. Like, Mew can just do two power tablets instead, whereas they would have... Or one power... They like say it's um what a three ten HP Pokemon instead of a big charm you have a uh tool jammer. It's only one power tablet with four energy Maloetta. Like instead of making them hit two cards, you're just making them hit one. Like sure choice belt's not an option, but it's just one tablet compared to two or two and a one in a choice belt. It just it, it's good, it's just not that good. What are your thoughts, Sander? I mean, yeah, I, I agree. It's like um, you kind of want to play it as like a pseudo big charm that can also hit, make it easier to hit through big charm because you're reducing the choice belt damage and you are uh, getting rid of your opponent's uh, big charm. But it, it's true that in the Mio Mayor it feels not like it doesn't do, do much of anything because yeah, it only stops one of the specific uh, buffs. So. Yeah, it's it's it, it, there are some there are some relevant tools, but on the other hand, a lot of the Intellion decks they are playing Squibnet, so it's not like you're getting value from blocking Air Balloon. And I also think that um, Arceus in Arceus Mirror, like in, I feel like in Mew Mirrors, um, it's not uh, very exciting to play Tool Jammer, like for the reason that uh, Alex mentioned, and and Arceus Mirror, like I also don't think the tools. I mean, the tools can matter, 
but I don't think they matter enough that you want to play a tall jammer in your deck. Like sometimes a big charm on the bench, the Arceus fee basic is like relevant. Like the, the tools can be relevant, but I feel like uh, the spots are too niche and there's uh, more impactful cards that uh, cover a wider range. But there are definitely decks that is kind of, I mean, it, it can, the, 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 like the dual benefit of both, like buffing your HP by blocking a choice a choice band and also hitting through uh, Big Charm. I feel like the, the Arceus Ganger deck, that one was really, because it, without the single strike energy, you couldn't uh, uh, otherwise reach on a Big Charm Arceus, right? If I remember correctly. Yeah, they had the Scrapper for the Charms, and then they needed a choice. Oh, yeah, Scrapper, Gengar is like the only deck tool jammer is like acceptable, like straight Gengar. Like it's just a good card. Like it's it's fine. Yeah, it is. It's not bad, but um, it also there's some of the you know most popular decks also have matchups where you probably it, it can be it can be helpful, but there's probably cards that. Are have a even wider range of useful situations. So, like putting a tool jammer on an Arceus against Mule is way way worse than a big charm, right? Like, oh yeah, you are only going to block one of their five modifiers. So, I don't think it's a terrible card, but uh, I feel like a lot of the tier one matchups are running into each other. Have probably. Uh, other options that are better. And then um, we're going to have to skip a bunch of questions. So sorry to a bunch of you who asked them, but one last one that I think I want to get to, and I want to respect both of your times, but at Liverpool regionals, we saw three copies of Marnie in all of top eight total. There were more copies of Sharon's yeah. than there were of, or two copies of Marnie. Sorry. Yeah. Two copies and one judge. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> two of those, one judge. We saw Three copies of Sharon's. We saw multiple Claras. Like there was just not Marnie being played. Are you expecting yeah. EUIC to follow that same trend of there's just not going to be much Marnie, or do you expect the Marnie counts to increase for EUIC compared to Liverpool? I mean, it'll probably go up. I mean, like I think that was a very large side effect of Malamar being heavily played and. Yeah. The limitless deck not playing it, um, so like, I mean, it'll go up. There's no way less than two Marnie ends up in UIC top eight. I also don't think that's really representative of the meta game, anyways. Like, I I think there will yeah. be more. Makes sense. It's like a very yeah, weird uh, situation with Malamar doing exceptionally well. The limitless deck didn't play Marnie. And I, Marnie was one of the cards that I heavily considered, but I ended up also not playing it. Actually, the reason why I didn't play Marnie is I thought that Marnie was terrible against Mio. Like, I was playing against Mio, and a lot of times they're, like, holding their bosses and they're switching cards and, like, their, their resources that they don't want to waste. And I felt like my Marnie is just fixing their hand for them, putting the resources that they, uh, you know, they are stuck in their hand, but they also don't want to... Uh, discard for no effect and I'm putting them on the bottom of their deck I'm just helping them out so that's what the reason why I cut the Marnie in the end so yeah anyways uh, the 
Midak didn't play it, the OpenStack didn't play it, the Modemars didn't play it. So we got this like weird statistic of <laughs> nobody playing Marley. <laughs> but no, for EOIC, I mean, now we also kind of, you know, uh, kind of know that if you don't play Marnie, there are some decks that are, you know, take a pretty big advantage out of uh, no hand disruption. So maybe we'll definitely see. Uh, I mean, it's not hard to increase when you think about uh, two Marnies and one Church in top eights, but it will almost definitely be higher. Yeah, that's one of those cards that feels like it's easy to sell as a tech card. Because you're like, well, I kind of like this for consistency too, for most decks at least. But uh, thank you both for joining us. Uh, Sander, where would you like the people to find you if they want more information from you? Um, I guess uh, sometimes use my Twitter. So I guess you can uh, follow and contact me there. And uh, yeah, that's about it. And I'll have that link down in the description of whatever podcast app. Uh, Alex, where would you like the people to find you? Twitter same at a Shemansky. Just I've had actually a lot more people reaching out recently. It's been kind of cool. Nice. And of course, myself, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at mellow underscore Magikarp. This has been another episode of the Lake of Rage podcast. Catch you all next week.